With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I am Subi. I am going solo today. No Taylor Dammel, but we do have a terrific interview to bring you later on in this episode. There's really no point in wasting any time. We have onto the program Jason Carmelo, creator of Big Underdog Bracketology. You should follow him, uh, especially this time of year. He is a tremendous, tremendous person and, and a knowledgeable, knowledgeable dude. Uh, I would urge you to follow him at Big Underdog Blog on Twitter. But we welcome him onto the program to talk everything bracketology. We talk about bubble teams. We talk about one seeds. We talk about teams that are on the outside looking in and what they need to do. We address some of my gripes. Uh, one of those teams belongs in the Big East. But Jason was amazing, and it was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to bring you this interview because – we're rounding the bend, folks. Brackets are starting to take shape. March is approaching. So this is when we need to have these conversations. This is when we need to equip you with this information. So we'll bring that to you here after the jump. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, it's Henry Sims. Henry Sims by way of Baltimore, Maryland, Spent his collegiate career at Georgetown. Uh, he was a high school parade All-American, a member of one of the 2011-2012 All-Big East teams. Henry Sims uh, has played in a, a bunch of places professionally, but Henry Sims was a big, big boy. 6'10", 245, a real force uh, down low for, for Georgetown. And I think what was most interesting about Henry's collegiate career uh, that spanned four years was his field goal percentage. So his freshman year, he only took about two shots per game, resulting in a 40% field goal percentage. The next year, he only took about one shot per game, but his field goal percentage was 50. Uh, the following year, he was only at three, around two and a half. And his field goal percentage was 58%. Uh, senior year, he upped his field goals attempted to around eight or nine. Uh, and then he saw a, a decline in field goal percentage at 46%. But if you just hop on his sports reference page, it's funny to look at the field goal percentage where he had two years uh, of 50 plus percent field goals. Henry Sims, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. 
Let's open the curtains. so excited to welcome on to theater and college hoops an ncaa tournament bracketologist and analyst a u.s basketball writers association member and the creator of bigunderdog.com and big underdog bracketology we got jason carmelo joining us today jason how are you doing i'm really good i appreciate you having me on i appreciate you jumping on and and we've had some good correspondence you do wonderful work Thank Jason, you. and uh, we'll we'll get to all of that here in just a second. But let me start with this. You're a Buckeye, right? Yeah. Are you still reading, riding high? Excuse me, after that Purdue win. Yeah, it's uh, it's been about 424 days since a road win, so we'll take all the home wins we can get. Yeah, it's uh, they've got two really good wins against Bama on the neutral and Purdue. Uh, but yes, we're enjoying the wins as we can get them, but uh, still a bit of a disappointing year. So, well, was there a interim coach bump? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it was the interim coach bump, the, you know, the Sunday CBS national telecast, the every seat in the house was filled. There was a little bit of kind of the, the perfect storm and they, uh, they released their aggression on, on Purdue. Um, and they actually turned, turned Purdue over. It's really creating turnovers for the first time in a couple of years. So the Buckeyes helped my narrative. Let me, let me just sh- selfishly explain why that is because for the past three and a half weeks or so, I've been trying to tell people that the the tier system isn't UConn and Purdue and then everyone else. I've been trying to say it's UConn, slight drop to Purdue, and I actually still think that is despite the Creighton loss, but UConn, slight dip to Purdue, not notice or not huge, and then for the most part everyone else. Uh did, what have you been seeing and what have you been seeing especially as it relates to the number 1 overall seed? Um, this past week with UConn going down to Creighton, Purdue losing to Ohio State. Uh, knowing that UConn just went down to the Jays, is that number one overall seed now back on the table for Purdue? I'm going to agree with you that UConn's the best team in the country. But the fact of the matter is the committee's going to establish with their tiered system, the net quadrant system, they're going to reward Purdue for having a couple more quad two wins. They have about the same amount of quad one wins. They're going to reward Purdue for the slightly, slightly harder non-conference schedule and kind of give that to Purdue for the number one overall. Still plenty of time. Road games are hard, right? If going into Ohio State's hard. Going to Creighton is nearly impossible in a packed house there. So I, while I think I agree with you, I think UConn, and, and they were maybe the best team in the country last year in the non-con, right? When they, when they ran the table in the non-con, I think UConn's the best team in the country. 
Purdue right now, second best, and then Houston, a close third. I'm going to rely on you for this stat. I don't know if you have it readily available, but something crazy like the re- the, the the record is 500 for ranked opponents going on the road to uh, non-ranked top 25 teams, right? Like yeah. 36 and 35 or something like that. Do you know what yeah. that is? It, it's it's yeah it's actually this year i think it, the last time i had charted it was last week and it was actually running around 45 percent which typically historically is you know it's well over you know it's close tipping at 60 percent we're talking about 45 percent so it's it's harder it's hard even against even against uh, you know non-ranked teams now we can get into a philosophical debate about the ap right the associate press pool and you know it, our, our team's kind of rated correctly but by and large it's fairly close and by and large um, you know, these teams have won historically. It's just tremendously difficult. You're dealing with kind of young kids, right? Being told for most of the weeks, they're really, really good. And they go in an environment and it's a, you know, it's an incredible atmosphere like it was in Creighton. It's just hard to win on the road. Maybe I'm deluded and maybe I just completely forget what it was like watching hoops growing up, but it felt as if the dominant teams could take their act on the road. And that's not to say some of these great teams around, like I, I think of Baylor, who was a juggernaut during the COVID canceled season and eventually the year that they won. But it seems as if there is far more trouble this year recently for teams going on the road and winning ball games than there was maybe growing up. And I personally attribute that to Jason, just the wealth of talent around all teams. It's not just hoarded by the top guys. Am I wrong there? Is there anything else you can attribute this to? I think you're right. I, I, I think that's 100% right. I also think there is a bit of a vulnerability with some of these teams and relying on the three-point shot. And, you know, a team like Baylor, while a lot of their statistics are really, really good, you you know, you posted last night, is Baylor elite or are they just pretty good? Um, one of the one of the issues with Baylor right now is their defensive efficiencies, you know, over, you know, it's at 85. So just one quick stat to kind of throw back at you. Over the last, you know, 22 years, where we have kind of historical data for final four teams, there's only really been six teams. So about, you know, about six or 7% that have made a final four with a defensive or an offensive efficiency over 50 in the nation. So that's kind of a tip when you're filling out your brackets, go ahead and, and make your way to Ken Palm and take a look at your offense and even efficiency. Keep it really simple. You And if any, if either of those two numbers are over 50, they're going to have a very, very hard time making the final four. So when you get into a team like Baylor that relies on the three, I think they're you know second in the nation in threes, those shots are harder, right? The crowd's louder. There's more pressure. You don't get off to a good start. You start to kind of squeeze the ball a little bit harder. And, the, and relying on the three has kind of come back to bite teams. I think there's a lot of opportunity in this space for folks like us because I'm not the numbers guy. And actually, when we launched this podcast, Jason, I've said if you're looking for the in-depth stats, I'm probably not your guy. I'm more of an eye test, but I'll, I'll obviously read Ken Palm and all of the great stuff that's available to us now this year, big underdog, what you're doing. So we're going to use this uh, hour, Jason, as basically you're my tutor. All right. <laughs> and I'm going to come to you with a lot of questions because for me, it, like it, it just felt like something is maybe amiss with Baylor because I see their ranking. I see how good they are, the conference that they play in, which we'll get into. And, but, but there's also this area of opportunity. Uh, for them that I think is is kind of lacking or there's there's some things that they're just lacking. And so I think that was a great example uh, and, and indicators of what we should really be looking for. But Jason, before I get too far into bracketology and the teams, I think it's important to get a better understanding of 
who you are. Let me start with this. How did you get into this space? Take us all the way back. Yeah, it was probably about 15 years ago. Uh, I was a diehard Ohio State basketball fan, which there's, you know, a handful of us out there, right, that, that focus more on the basketball than the football for the Buckeyes. And I found myself, you know, late in the evening trying to figure out where are they going to be seated? That was kind of in the Thad Mata, you know, early Thad Mata years and trying to figure out, hey, they're going to make the tournament, but where are they going to be seated? And probably about 15 years ago, I, I said, you know, they're going to be, whatever it was, you know, around the 38th line. I had them as like seated 38th. And I was one off and I thought to myself, okay, well, like, you know, I kind of starting to see how this works. So then I, you know, put together a simple website and put together some things, reached out to the bracket matrix, got included in that, very appreciative to be included in that early on uh, in that process. And then in 2020, in uh, 2014, kind of submitted my work and was able to be fortunate enough to, to win the bracket matrix. So kind of had the most, you know, accurate projection of how the bracket would lay out. Um, and then I, you know, gradually built the website over time, but really it started with trying to figure out where Ohio State would be seated and kind of worked my way from there. Um, kind of the back end of some of the stuff that I do is trying to look at the trends, right? We went from the years of the RPI, which was the old ranking system now to the net ranking system with quadrant based wins. And so in that transition, I thought, okay, well, since we're going in the net system, I'm on the elevator, you know, I'm on the ground floor of the elevator. I've started to track data since the nets ranked and try to figure out kind of in the off season, how much the committee weighed certain categories, how much do they weigh the non-conference schedule? And then how much do they weigh, um, you know, quad one wins. And so develop kind of a back end you know, matrix. And then you kind of plug those numbers in, take a look at them and then blend in the eye test, right? You know, some teams, you know, play well at certain, certain moments. Um, but what I really found fascinating was just trying to figure out how my favorite teams, you know, stacked up and then uh, turned into a passion project for me. How cool is that, Jason? So take us back then to that first that 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 first exercise that you did in trying to identify where Ohio State was going to land. You mentioned the RPI, and we've we've certainly evolved past that. I don't know if evolves necessarily yeah. the right word because folks, we've changed. Let's yes. let's keep it as that. Maybe maybe it's, step to the side, left or right. Yeah. Lateral movement. La Rick Patino was movement. talking about that, right? Oh, well said. Uh, so take us back though, when you were breaking it down and trying to identify where Ohio state was going to land. What were some of the key factors that were going into your decision-making process? If you can remember and, and how has that changed throughout uh, throughout the years? Like what did you wait back then versus what you're waiting now? Do you remember what were the key factors yeah. into how you reached your, uh, I think you said it was an eight seed or a nine seed. Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. You know, the, the biggest factor back in the day was how were you playing your last i think it was 12 games right they literally factored that and it had more weight i see the smile right they, this is nostalgic for me yeah man. yeah and so it it was the last 12 games coming into it were weighted more heavily than the or games in you know november and december now the committee has said it doesn't matter it doesn't matter when you win the game that's a big change and if you look at the ncaa team sheets it's a matrix of where does the game rank in terms of kind of quality of opponent. It has nothing to do with date. You know, it's a, it's kind of a smorgasbord of dates. So that was the biggest one. Um, road wins was a really one back, a really big category back then. I think, I think now it still matters, i.e., you know, Nebraska, right? One and seven on the road currently. So while road wins still matter, I think the last 12 in the road wins were a little more heavily weighted um, back in the day than they are now. That's so interesting. And like I'm telling you, it's bringing me back to those days. So 
in unpacking that a little bit, you talk about road performance. I think of an elite team like Kansas, who is kind of dreadful on the road, really, this season. And then you talk about how you've been performing recently as opposed to early on in the season. The one team that really stands out to me, and we've mentioned them uh, like last week or a couple of weeks ago, St. Mary's, because yeah. they were they were wow. god awful earlier yep. on in the season, but they got the longest winning streak in the country now, huh? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of incredible um, when you when you watch some of the St. Mary games early on, right? Losses to you know Weaver State, you know a Xavier team that wasn't playing well back then, um, and also Missouri State. When you're watching the games, you could feel the weight and the pressure that they were playing under early in the season because they knew once they lost to Weaver State, right? They knew that they were chasing an uphill battle because the West Coast Conference isn't quite as good this year um, without BYU and Co. But then they it's almost like they just said enough is enough. Like we're going to go we're going to go play and we're going to let it take care of itself and they've always been metric darlings cuz they guard. And since then, yeah, they they've been one of the best teams in the country and they've kind of just kicked everything aside and now they're going to, you know, work their way to the tournament. But it's really interesting to see kind of these mid-major teams. And St. Mary's a wonderful mid-major. But you can see the pressure that they play with early in the season because their margin of error is so small. And um, it was probably pretty gratifying and, and, and freeing that they were able to kind of work past it. So. Yeah, you mentioned a few things there with the Gales. They defend at an elite level. I think they're top 15, at least top 20. Feel free to keep me honest there. Uh, but I think part of that pressure also, Jason, was looking over at your rival and yeah. basically saying, this is the year to strike. Yes. They are not as loaded. I don't see NBA guys up and down the court over in Spokane. It's almost like if I were to align this to football, I mean, you're, you live in Kansas City. I was thinking to myself, like, if the Bills ain't going to beat them this year, yeah. when, the, when the hell are you going to do it? So I'm like, St. Mary's, if you're not going to be crowned West Coast Conference champions when Gonzaga's down, yep. uh, maybe that played a little bit more into their pressure as uh, well. Really good, really, really good point. I, I agree with that. Um. So a little bit more about you and and you're you're getting started in this space. Uh, I mentioned this is like a tutor uh, student relationship right now. Who did you study from? Who did you draw inspiration from once you really got rolling here? Well, you know the uh, you know Lenardi is like the godfather of bracketology, right? So I mean, so you know you all read it and you respect the form in which he's created because you know if he didn't create it and ESPN didn't give him the platform, then none of us would get to kind of you know, have this space to play in. Um, also, you know, hearkening back to the ESPN days when Emin Brennan would write the wonderful, fantastic bubble watch, right? Which I believe is kind of the weekly, that's the weekly gold standard of literature in college in college hoops. Um, so a shout out to him. And if um, if you're able to subscribe to his new Substack uh, account there. Um, so the bubble watch um, was a really big piece as, as well as Lenardi's piece. And then, you know, my site harkens back a little bit to the the Yahoo sports days of, you know, you got your seed list and with some explanation. Now they didn't have kind of the analytical data back then, but it's trying to do that. I think that it's important to give readers a foundation of why the teams are seated where they are, not just predict a bracket, but to kind of step back and analyze, to give them a, a quick bullet point list. Everybody's busy, right? But how can you get to your team and you can explain to your team and the teams around your team why where why they are kind of where they are and why they ranked uh, where they're ranked so where do you land then jason at a high level let me try and be as direct as possible where do you land on net quad quadrant wins things of that nature i know it's part of your formula clearly but so is the eye test 
Um, Do you think we've veered into a space where maybe we're too reliant on it? Or do you think we should, it's the perfect amount or do you think uh, we're not relying on it enough? What do you think? Because this is a big conversation with guys like you. Really, really big. I think we're a little too reliant on it. Now, I, I believe that they're trying to do the right thing with the net system of creating kind of a standard of rewarding uh, road wins, which we talked about are really, really difficult these days. So I appreciate that there's a different ranking system for a home win versus a road win. But we get so caught up in saying quad one win, because to be honest, that's what the committee has kind of told us to do. But the issue is this, you know, going to, you know, let's say, you know, 75 on the net, let's say going to Maryland this year right? Maryland's a decent team, but a win at Maryland is a quad one win this year, right? Or a win at Richmond is a quad one win. It's the same quad one win is going to UConn and winning, right? Or beating UConn at your place. And so we have to just be careful when we throw out kind of these quad one versus quad two and just simply quad wins because they're not the same. And we have to make sure that we're diving into the data a little bit more using the eyes to establish, hey, this team can really play. Like, watch New Mexico. You know, I I tweeted last night. The Mountain West is this kind of wonderful, um, this wonderful treat every late night, right? The Mountain West has these wonderful teams. If you watch New Mexico, they got some dudes. They have some men that can play. And the experienced team that can really play. And they may not have the quad one wins, but they're really well coached. They've got a lot of good players, and they're going to cause someone a major issue in the first round of the tournament. So we have to balance it and, again, really – dive into the data of what is a quad one win what's a quad two win to make sure we're rewarding the high-end wins there yeah i think that's really well put and a perfect example of new mexico because when i tune in every single night we're at the stage now jason where broadcasts are bringing up so-and-so's last four last four in you know next four out things of that nature and i see i see new mexico squarely on the bubble understood but when i watch them I'm like, this is a damn good team. And I see some other teams that I've watched maybe in some higher major conferences like the Big East, and I'll get to one in particular who's uh, kind of been a thorn in my side. Uh, And I I see them, and they're on the same bubble. And I'm like, they're not – first of all, I don't think that they're better than New Mexico, but I don't think that they're one of the best 68 teams in the entire country. So I think New Mexico – that's a great example. Do you know why you think New Mexico is good? Because – because you're right. The eye test is serving you well. They're top 30, you know, 31 in offense and 30 in defense. That means they've played, you know, they've played 20 some games now, 27 games or whatever it is now, and they've played well. So you're right. Um, their non-conference schedule wasn't great, but by and large, when they're out there on the court, they're efficient in both ends and they should be rewarded for that. Well, it's that plus damn it. I need a Patino in the dance at, yes. at some uh level. It's not gonna be Rick, yes. I don't think, unfortunately. With this swoon. Uh, And also New Mexico. I don't know if you remember this. I'm pretty sure they were the last remaining unbeaten last year. And they missed out on the dance. Yeah, their non-conference last year got got them. Right? And and that goes back to, you know, we talked about the last 12 was a huge piece. Lately, and with the committee's ranking system lately, I'd say over the last five or six years, if your non-conference strength of schedule is anywhere and it's anywhere near 300 or it starts with a three with a couple digits after it, you are, you are on red alert. And, you know, I keep carrying Ole Miss in my bracket right now, but I kind of don't believe they're going to end up getting there. I think other teams, you know, wake Forest, someone's going to sneak in and win a bunch of games late and kind of get in. And 
again, these these this non-conference strength schedule has been a huge, huge piece recently for the committee. Yeah, Ole Miss is a great example. I, I said last offseason, I was like, don't be surprised if they make the tournament because I, 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 I'm that big of a believer in Chris Beard. Oh, fan, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, and and the players that they have, I love Matthew Morrell, um, Alan Flanagan over came over from Auburn, but that that, that out of conference schedule is not doing them any favors. And I think that's a, like I don't think Chris Beard really. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but when he's scheduling, he's probably like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get as many wins as possible because I know we're gonna be that good in the SEC." There's no way he thought he. I, I think Ken Palm had them at like two and a half wins. Yeah, in the you're, SEC. you're exactly right. I, I, you know, my line for well, Miss is the same way. He Beer didn't know they were gonna be good. Okay, right? thank you. So, so, so that's why they scheduled the way they did. You know, they're you know out of three hundred sixty-two teams for the listeners, right? You got three about three hundred sixty-two Division One teams. They're three thirty-one in non-conference scheduling. So, I mean, they're wow. So, it's an incredible feat to be that bad in scheduling. But again, he's trying to stack wins and build a program, build yes. a fan base, get people excited, have a good record. Quite honestly you know, probably make the NIT, get to New York and the NIT and like build momentum for the next year. And then he looks around and says, you know, we got Memphis, like we're starting to piece this together. Dang, I should have scheduled a little better. Yeah. Um, you know, but but their overall strength of schedule because the SEC is having a really good year is 77. So he, they're going to now, when the committee comes, say, why'd you schedule like that? He goes, hey, we're good. We're going to, you know, going to be around 50th overall. So um, yeah, he he had no idea, but he's a very good basketball coach. Immediate impact guy. It's funny. I think we were saying the exact same thing there. Uh, but I can only imagine Chris Beard being taken by surprise. Like, dang, all right, we actually might yeah. have a shot yeah. here. Uh, we talked a little bit about the last 12, and we're going to dive into some more of those teams as well uh, on your latest publication. But let's start here when we get into the nitty-gritty, Jason, of the Big 12. All right. Go. This is This has been a, a point of discussion. Uh, among some now I think majority of the country including myself believes that the big 12 is the best conference in America uh, I believe in looking at Ken Palm's top 25 they have six teams in that top 25 uh, I also think the SEC is very close we just talked about them but I want to give you the platform here to, to, to say why the big 12 maybe isn't necessarily fool's gold but um, they're they're pumping their numbers a bit is that is that true? I yeah, this is a this is probably my my favorite conversation to have right now at this time, right? Because I agree, the Big 12 is the best league in the country and they have some fantastic teams. Um, but they also have several that scheduled again in the non-conference over 300. And again, if you're going to schedule over 300, you're doing that on purpose. It's hard to schedule that poorly. But but I think I think we can look at it this way. It's not while it the teams intentionally did that. I'm also going to say, I don't blame the teams for scheduling that way. And here's why the NCAA tournament committee has basically said, we're going to cap you at 14 losses. That's it. If you get into 15, there's got some crazy circumstances where your strength of schedule is like one overall Georgia, like way back in the day, but it's going to be very, very, very rare that you're getting in. So you got 14 losses to play with. So let's start there. So if I'm any Big 12 team that's not Kansas or Houston heading into the year, I got 14. That's it. If I want to make the tournament and I got to make keep making the tournament or I don't get to coach in the Big 12 if I'm a coach and athletic director. All right, let's work backwards. We got 14. We're going to lose. We're going to lose here in Kansas City, right? Because Kansas is probably going to win or Houston. All right, so we're, we got 13 left. 
if we have a really good year, I mean, really good year, we go nine and 11, right? All right. So, so the 11 plus the one, that's 12. So now I only have two to play with in the whole non-conference. If I lose more than two games in the non-con, again, it doesn't matter what my strength of schedule is. The committee is going to say, you aren't three, four games over 500. We can't let you in the tournament. Sorry. Thank you for scheduling and entertaining people in November, December, while they're having their Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals. And I appreciate you carrying the schedule then, but you can't make the tournament. Let's go to the NIT and have some fun. So it's really just math. Um, you literally can't lose more than two uh, non-conference games. And that's why the teams have done it. And, it, you know, you look at a team like TCU, again, where that's the path that they took. So they're 327 in the non-con. They didn't want to mess around with anybody. They accidentally ran into Nevada who, who got them. But they have to be very careful. And a team that has a 327 non-con, the Big 12 is so good. TCU's overall strength of schedule is already 36. Wow. It's going to head into the 20s by the time we're all said and done. So I don't blame the teams because, again, you can only get to 14 losses and you can only fill the bucket up that much. I love that exercise, Jason. That, like That is a very good exercise to break down because uh, a couple things to pick from that. We had Jared Blount, who's an assistant coach over at Iowa State, and I had asked him what it's like going day in and day out of the Big 12 grind. And he was like, when I was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed when he first came to the Big 12, he's like, yeah, man, we're going to try and finish – six or seven games above 500 and he had an assistant coach he's like you're trying to go 500 yes that's it and that's all yeah i mean i think it's the last six years if you if you get to 10 wins it doesn't matter you know well, again it was round robin back in the day now it's a little different with more teams if you get to 10 wins it doesn't matter like you're in you're in now eight's probably enough to get you in nine for sure ten of course so you're right. Anything around 500 in that league is is really, really good. And that's when you see teams like a Kansas State, when you start doing the math early and you check the scores at night and, and they got and they don't get the road win at Oklahoma State or you mm -hmm. don't get the road win at West Virginia. It's almost like you lost two because you you can't make up that ground on the road. at Most of these other places, as we talked about road wins being so difficult to get that there's so much pressure on the bottom tier road games. Yeah, I, I think in some of the weaker conferences, if I look at a Pac-12, a team like Arizona, their losses are going to impact their seats. There's no issue whatsoever. And I, I I, mean, Wazoo is above the cut line right now. I really like Wazoo. But if we yeah. just look at Arizona, their losses are going to impact seed lines. It's not going to impact their tournament berth. Uh, but a TCU team, like, shoot. I, I don't. Let me ask you this, actually, with TCU. Do you think the committee takes into the fact that they probably should have been called for a loss against Georgetown. Like, do you remember that out of bounds yeah, game? Yeah, does I, that I matter at all? Because they, they it was clearly a missed call that would have ended the game. I did. You know, the committee's task with trying to keep track of when major significant players play and don't play. Right there, um, I you know I, you know Kansas won a game earlier this year. Um, you know that that maybe they shouldn't have. I I don't think they do. Is an honest assessment. I don't think they do. I think that if it's in a, if it is in the the last couple of weeks of the regular season, and if it's fresh, and if it's in the conference tournament, they might relay that. But I just don't think that that level of detail is going to factor in. Maybe you should get on the committee um, so you can bring that up there. But I don't think that that one will. Whether they go back and check significant, you know, players here and there. I think if a if a major player is out for a significant amount of time, right? We're talking anything more than three to five games, something like that then I think they factor that in. I think if it's, if it's kind of a hit or miss and some players are out once in a while, 
I don't think that that factors in too much. If I was a Georgetown fan, I'd just say that's why we stink. It yeah. sidewinded the whole season. Let me just that, pinpoint that that one game. Yeah, that was the that was the inflection point. I can think of lots of inflection <laughs> points for Ohio State over the last couple of years, but we won't go down that we won't go down that rabbit hole. Hey, we're a fresh start. Uh, yes. and and we'll talk about the potential replacements there for Mr. Holtman, but let's keep it here uh, with bracketology and and the bubble. Okay, so this is a team I have a gripe with. Jason, you mentioned the 14 losses, all right, how that's a key, key point. This team is sitting at 11. For me personally, I think any any number of losses between 12 and 14, I I really got to watch this team play and identify, like, are, are they good? And I don't think this team is good. I'm sorry, and that's Villanova. They're winners yeah. of their last four or five, I believe. They kind of have a gauntlet coming up. Yeah. including games against Providence, Creighton, Yukon, and Georgetown, I believe. So that's not – maybe not Georgetown, but I know those other three they got. And so I think a lot of folks are saying if they can go three and two the rest of the way, they'll be in. Um, so that would put them at 13 losses. I suppose like those wins against uh, Creighton and Yukon, if they're so fortunate to get it, I'd be willing to have that conversation and take a few laps and say I was wrong, but I absolutely do not see them beating UConn or Creighton. Providence uh, is tough. Um, for Villanova, this is just kind of the things that irk, irk me, Jason, is when you talk about a New Mexico and you say, oh, they, they tripped up so they may not make it. When you talk about a Wake Forest who beat the brakes off of Pitt, but apparently that doesn't mean much, uh, a red-hot Pitt, um, when you talk about those teams and even Indiana state, when I get it, it's the reality, but Indiana state had one bad week. Yeah. Now they're AQ or bust for the most part, but we're here talking about Villanova an 11 loss team, arguably a 13 loss team when it's all said and done making the tournament. I, I personally have an issue with that. What do you fall on Nova? Yeah. I mean, you get into these biggies teams and that are losing six out of eight games. Right. And you're, you're looking at them, staring at them as, as they might make the tournament. It Nova has, I think, the the craziest resume of anybody in the country, and you touched on that. They they lost the whole Philadelphia circuit, right? They lost to St. Joe's, they lost to Drexel, they lost to Penn, which is crazy, right? They never lose to those types of teams, but they they haven't been quite as good when Jay Wright stepped aside. the The issue what's carrying, um, what, what's really interesting is not to get too geeked out on this, but in the world of analytics, right? In the world of 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 those of us studying the metrics and studying why teams do and don't make the tournament, there's two types of analytics and metrics. There's resultant-based analytics, meaning this is how you've played against the people you've played, and this is how you've actually done. And in that world, Villanova ranks roughly around 62. And then there's the world of computers, like straight computers that say they're really efficient, Right? They take good shots. They're efficient. They're making shots. They've been a bit unlucky here at times, but they should be pretty good because they got pretty good players and you know they're pretty efficient. And in that world, they're 26. So you got like you know 60 versus mid-20s. And the paper is saying that they've really struggled. Like you shouldn't lose the Drexel. And the analytics are saying, yeah, but they got some good players and they're going to be fine in the future. Well, the future's running out for Villanova. Um, I side more with you and that's why I'm, I've been staunch on like the South Carolina train that, and, you know, strength, the record, everybody's taken them. And especially lately with a couple losses with South Carolina and said, well, 
you know, move them down. The analytics have said all year they're not very good. Well, to this point, their strength against the record is still in the top 15. So you have to reward people. Like, you went to Tennessee and won. So we have to be very careful with relying only on predictive metrics and, and not about what you've actually done. Um, again, the reason why they're in mine, I'm not just saying that, you know, that you, the reason why they're right on the cusp and I don't have them in yet, but they, you know, they may be in soon is it's the quad one wins. Again, we've relied so much on the quad one wins that historical data says this, an 11 seed right now, which is kind of, that's the bubble seed right now this year, at least for now, it, there's an average of just a shade under eight quad one plus quad two wins for a bubble team to make it historically in the last five years since the net started. So eight crazy thing is Seton Hall and Villanova and Butler. All those teams are already at seven. The right? Big so East is crazy. The Big East is crazy. And so, you know, when you look at historically teams with that resume or right around that mes resume have made the tournament and they're on pace to do it. And that's why you're seeing them in. I agree though. Um, you, you have to be evaluated at some point on what you've done. And I think, this could be a year where it kind of opens up to let some of the mid-majors in, like a Drake or an or an Indiana State, um, who've been who've been fantastic this year. I think this background of yours probably serves you well as a as a parent, Jason. The reason I say that is because I'm over here just emotionally saying, I want Seton Hall in because Shaheen Holloway is cool yeah. and it's year two. I want Thad Mata's resurgence. Get Butler back in. By the way, they have some great wins as well. Yes, yes um, they do. I love that. So yeah. You did a great job of explaining why, hey, this is the reason and rationale. Calm the hell down. Uh, here's the reason and rationale for why Nova's there. But, I mean, it's, it is a tall task the rest of the way. I suppose I understand why as we're sitting here. Uh, on February 22nd, why Nova is in these conversations. Yep. But let's see. And, and again, look, if they get UConn, they get Creighton, the hat tip. But uh, we'll we'll see what that looks like. Hey, let's move back to the West Coast Conference real quick. Let me ask yep. you this. Uh, one or two bid league? Oh, wow. I'm going one. Okay. I'm going one. I. What's your reasoning there? I... I, I, I'm one of few bracketologists now that don't have Gonzaga in the field. A lot of them have Gonzaga in the field. And and I look at it this way. Um, Gonzaga's had chances to play good teams and they haven't won the games. Now they got the luck, you know, for some reason Calipari scheduled them and then they went to Kentucky and they, and they won a close game late. So you have to give credit where credit is due. I think Gonzaga's playing better as a whole. Um, but, you know, they're one in five in quad one and, you know, they just don't have a lot of depth um, to it. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna say one for now. I'm gonna say St. Mary's gets in, but you know, obviously, if they go down to Vegas and then they sweep through the West Coast, they get in. St. Mary's getting in, um, but you asked for a question. I'm gonna give you one. We're going one. We're staying with it. So, and let's let's just clarify here. You think St. Mary's is in regardless? I think St. Mary's gonna make the tournament. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I I I think that they've kind of they've gotten past the the bumps and they've been so dominant again. So you're dealing with inherently on these team sheets, you're dealing with a team that is now in the top 15 to 20 on just about every metric across the board that, that talks about kind of how you play and your style of play. Um, again, it's a team a little bit like Nova because the result in base stuff said, Hey, you know, you shouldn't have lost to Missouri state, you know, and Weber state. So, the result and stuff is in the mid 40s. 
their predictive stuff is around 20. And I just think their dominance and their wins is going to carry them through. Also, they can hang their hat on. They have, they have multiple good wins. Gonzaga doesn't have that. They have multiple. So they won at Gonzaga. That was a game Gonzaga just has to win. You have to hold mm-hmm. serve at home. They won at Colorado State, who's who's a really, really good team, a bit like New Mexico, top 30 in both metrics. And Isaiah Stevens is one of my favorite players in the country. Um, yep. We don't sidebar with him. Like We don't have players anymore that stay for five years at the same school and gut it out and are loyal to the fan base and loyal to the teams and just become wonderful players. So I – I root for Colorado State in a sense of I root for him, and I would love to see him on like a second team All American or something fun like that because he you know he he deserves it. But again, they, they you know um, getting back to St. Mary's at at the Zags at Colorado State, nice win against New Mexico, and so they have some pieces outside the West Coast to kind of you know hang their hat on. Where the Zags, they again a wonderful win at Kentucky, but other than that, they just don't have wins against the field. So they're I think Gonzaga at minimum has to win out. And then get to the finals. And if they win, if they lose a close game against St. Mary's, I think they'll probably get in. I think at that point, the body of work and the Gonzaga name, although it's not supposed to, I think that'll get them in because you're going to see those Big East teams get to 14 losses, and Gonzaga is going to sit there with you know you know six or seven, and they'll probably get in at that point. I don't think the Zags are an at-large thing. I think it's or a team is. I think it's AQ or bust. For them, yep. but that Kentucky game showed me that there's still a little bit of pride left yeah. in that roster and Mark Few and Anton Watson, and that's why I, I'm still I shouldn't say holding out hope, but it would not shock me if they went to Vegas and won the whole damn thing and <clears throat> punched uh, their their automatic qualifier to uh, yeah. to the dance. And they they've really started to rely on on transfers, right? Um, and listen, so many schools do. So I totally get it. They were going through a stretch there where they were really cultivating talent and recruiting talent. And they still do, right? Fuse a wonderful Hall of Fame coach. But I think you're seeing that even at a school like that, it's hard to put all the pieces together um, and, and have it work year after year after year with really kind of, you know, no no mistakes. I I go back last year. I'm, I'm going on tangent here. But last year, a team like that for me last year was Illinois. I would watch Illinois, right, and and you know Shannon and Hawkins and some of these players last year, and I could not figure out how they couldn't be better than eight or nine seed. I could not figure it out. Michigan State's playing with that this year, and then you watch them play, and you realize, okay, they, there's just not a consistency to their game. Well, fast forward to this year, and Illinois has very similar pieces. Domask has been a great ad from Southern Illinois, but then you realize, like, oh, okay, sometimes it just takes time playing together to be better. And so Illinois now they go from an eight or nine last year where you scratch your head to, yeah, they're going to be through a four seed and they're, they're probably going to make a sweet 16. Yeah. I think in Gonzaga's case as well, we've said this a couple times, but you talk about the transfers and the names and Nemhard's great and EK's just fine, Anton Watson, but no disrespect. That's not Jalen Suggs. That's not, sure. that's not Chet Holmgren, right? That's not Drew Timmy, who's not necessarily a NBA pro. But it's not the likes of Zach Collins, right? Even yep. the guys like Nigel Williams-Goss, they've had some serious, serious talent and names there. And so we're seeing uh, just a bit of regression in terms of talent, but obviously still competitive. Hey, Jason, let's stick out on the West Coast, okay? Because I'm looking at your website. I'm looking at last four in, first four out, next four out. And I just want to focus real quick on the mountain schools, okay? Utah and Colorado, they went to the LA schools last week. And on Thursday... 
uh, a week ago, I was saying, do these teams want to get in? I suppose it's not mandatory. It's, it's not, uh, it's not law that you have to make the NCAA tournament, but I'm over here like Utah, Colorado, man. Do you want to get in? Losing the USC is absolutely inexcusable. Um, and then UCLA has been coming on. Utah pulled it out against them, but they're kind of maddening. Uh, what are their chances right now? Do you foresee them in the field? Utah is a little bit higher, you know, in the on the totem pole because they have a couple more, you know, more quality wins. They've got, you know, three quad one wins. Colorado's only got one. But I agree. They're, they're maddening. I mean, Utah was just cruising along. They were 11 and two pr- playing really, really well. And then they took their trip to Arizona. And since then, they've been a train wreck. Um, and you're just not going to get a lot of grace because of the way the Pac-12 is regarded this year. So, I mean, no disrespect to the conference. Arizona's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And Washington State, like you said, has been has been really surprising and a really, really fun story. One of the best five stories in the league, uh, excuse me, in the nation. But you're not going to get a lot of grace because there's just not that many quality wins, uh, it, you know, coming. So I would say right now I have them both out. Utah's a little bit higher in the pecking order. Some people like Colorado's metrics and, you know, where they might head, but they're both going to really struggle to get in because, again, you need the history says you need eight quad one and quad two wins to get in. And, you know, some most of those have to be quad one. And there's Colorado's just not going to get there. They only have one so far. It's crazy. It's crazy to me because look at that roster. KJ Simpson. I really like the addition of of Eddie Lampkin. Um, Cody Williams is a potential top five pick. Now he's been often injured, and I feel bad for him. But and Tad Boyle's a good coach. Really it's kind of crazy to see where they're at uh, today. Wazoo though, firmly in. I, they can make huge strides towards absolutely punching their ticket if they sweep Arizona uh, Thursday. But Wazoo, you think they're firmly in? Yeah, Wazoo's in a really good spot. They guard. I mean, Wazoo, you know, a lot of the, when you look at how they play and their style of play, they shut the water off. I mean, they're they're in the top 15 and a lot of important defensive metrics, especially the most important one, you know, you know, guarding and shot percentage. So I think they're, they're in really, really good shape. They don't have a lot of silly losses, you know, Santa Clara loss early. But again, other than that, not a lot of silliness. And they've started to win games on the road. And even if they don't have to be beautiful, you know, see, see Northwestern, see Nebraska, see Mississippi state, anything on the road, just take anything you can get on the road and you play, you know, well at home, get a couple key wins and you're going to find yourself in the tournament. They're in really good shape. They're kind of doing what I think Seton hall is trying to do over on the East East coast and in the big East and Seton hall tripped up against, I forget who it was. Uh, I don't think it was Xavier, but they, they dropped a game that they, in my eyes, they shouldn't have dropped because they've taken care of business, right? Wazoo has a win against Arizona. Seton Hall has a win against UConn. And all you say to these teams is just take care of like the bottom dwellers yep. of the conference and you should be okay. I think Wazoo's doing just that. Big East is a tougher conference for sure. But uh, I'm I'm glad to hear Washington State is in. Now, I'm a Wildcat. I don't want them winning and sweeping my team on Thursday. But uh, if it if it does happen, Kyle Smith's your coach of the year. Oh yeah, and they're, they're definitely the best story. And and Miles Rice, man, uh, unbelievable story there uh, as as well. Um, Cincinnati, I know we're going all over the map here, Jason. Oh, so I appreciate you uh, you joining me here. Cincinnati, I'm kind of surprised they're this close to the cut line. Great first season in the Big Twelve, really. And I think I believe in what Wes Miller is doing. I really hope Bearcats fans continue to give him time to build that program back up 
But uh, can you tell me or help me better understand why Cincinnati is so close to the cut line in some of it, the tracks I'm seeing? It's the Big 12 name brand. Okay. I mean, very, very honest. It's the Big 12 name brand, and it's carrying road wins. So they've got road wins. You know, they, they haven't been all that good at home, which is a bit surprising. They've won at BYU. They've won at Texas Tech. So those are kind of two top-tier road wins. And they also have a win over UCF, which we talk about, you know, sneaking in a quad one win. UCF, come on down. You get your quad one road win there. So three quad one road wins. And most teams don't have that. Heck, there's a lot of teams that Mississippi State doesn't have three road wins, period. Now they, they're really good. They're really good on neutral. So we have to give credit to the Bulldogs. They're like six and oh neutral. So you always have I think to one of those inclu includes a win against Washington yeah. State earlier in the year. Yeah. So you have to kind of balance everything, you know. But because of those kind of top tier road wins, they're just kind of hanging around. They got to be careful, though, because like it or not, that, you know, the losses start to add up, like we talked about. And you're not, everybody says the conference record doesn't matter. But when you, you know, when you lose 12 and 13 league games, it, you can't make the tournament, even if the Big 12 is really good. So Cincinnati's on the periphery. But if you've already gotten the seven league losses at this point, it's hard to kind of keep making, it's hard to make up ground on the big 12. So I, I, I would, I would guess if you had to, you know, press me, I say they don't get in, but you know, their, their program trajectory is looking up. For sure. Kind of reminds me of Ole Miss, right? Yeah. Big 12 yeah. And, and SEC, two phenomenal conferences. I, I, I like that comp there. Um, Wake Forest. I have a, really bad feeling jason that they're going to be disappointed come selection sunday and i want wake to be good i've always said it the tobacco road schools all of them need to be good so that the sport can ascend to its highest level in my eyes like that includes nc state who's not really doing their part duke and carolina do their part wake i think the last time they were in the tournament was with john collins and danny manning heading it up in a in a play-in game um I think they have, I think they deserve to be in. I like Steve Forbes. I think they deserve yes. to be in. I just have this bad gut feeling that their hearts are going to sink on selection Sunday by not hearing their name. Wake is all in on the last year's NC state. Not a lot of quad one wins, just gobbling up quad two wins. We're in the ACC. Let's just, can we have that? Can we have that same uh, pick as well? That's how NC state got in last year. The, you know, going back, you know, the computers say Wake's awesome. Ken Palm, and it's fantastic, right? He, he's got him at 21. Offense yeah. and deep, you know, offense, they're 27. Defense, they're 26. And we're talking about a team that is highly, highly regarded. And then you go watch him play and you're like, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't lose to Pitt, right? Like you should be able to beat Pitt if you're going to make the tournament. But you know, you go back and forth on them. They just don't have a lot of depth of really, really good wins, but they don't have a ton of silly losses. And so they exist in this middle ground of, honestly, they're going to be relying on what other teams do. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. And sometimes you look around and if the, if the big E schools do certain things and if, you know, it basically if Butler gets to 15 losses and Seton Hall and, you know, if the wrong teams lose in these other leagues, Wake Forest is going to look around on Selection Sunday and be like, hey, we're in. We had a great year. And if they don't get any help, they're going to be right on the cusp. If they don't get any help from the other team, there's only so many spots, then, then they won't. So it, sometimes it's, it's not always about your really good wins. It's about, you know, what happens around you on the bubble. You know, does, 
do you know do bid stealers happen in you know small leagues where let's say San Francisco comes you know comes out and wins the West Coast and St Mary gets in anyway and then Wake Forest gets knocked out you know a couple hours before Selection Sunday so I think Wake's going to be right on that cusp. Man, there's levels to bid stealers and watching those bid stealers. Yeah. I think Wake is at the top. Yes, like it's of all bubble teams are going to be watching for bid stealers. I feel like Wake. That's a great way of putting it. They're going to be very aware uh, of their surroundings. It's going to be a tough one for them. Yeah. I, you know, Colorado is going to be in that same spot probably, or, you know, maybe a team like Utah could be a team, you know, it, people start talking about Syracuse. Now there's going to yeah. be, a, there's going to be some ACC schools that are really kind of on the cusp, um, you know, because they're going to have a good I, record. They're going to, these teams are going to have wins and they're going to point to the big East and say, you're barely over 500. Why should, why should you get in? And then, you know, Indiana right. State's going to say, you know, our best player was hurt for, you know, our second best player was hurt for a couple of games. So we lost a couple of games in February. Other than that, we wanted an 85% clip. We should get in. So, I mean, I, that's kind of the beauty of all of it. It is. And I think specifically with Wake, though, like Colorado, Utah, I can point to stretches of the season where you lost it. You lost this opportunity. Um, I can do that. And it, it, again, talking about Indiana state, it stinks, but even their coaching staff, I think knows, and almost all mid-major coaching staffs know that the room for error is like zero. And I think they've come to terms with that. That week was just not very good yeah. uh, for, for them. So uh, I think for wake, it's almost like the worst feeling is not getting in and not being able to identify or pinpoint where it went wrong or, you know, not getting any answers. And, kind of nervous uh for it for wake to have that if you're a wake fan uh, you are the biggest florida gator fan in yeah the, in the history of the world uh because that they're hanging their hat on on florida who's been really really good lately again yep. florida is another team their metrics say they're really really good and they are they're very good um, i don't have them as high as some other people right now florida because i just believe hist history says you need more really good wins to kind of keep propelling up the the seed list but right now that's Florida's all at Wake has right now. Yeah. Uh, Texas A&M. Can we get them out of here? Wh what are we thinking? Vanderbilt yeah. and uh, who's the other one just recently? Arkansas. A Tell me something good here, Jason. A&M is, they're maddening. Um, when you, they are. you, you know, they, they played Ohio State early in the year and, and Wade Taylor, at times, you could watch Wade Taylor and be like, he's first team All-American or second team All-American. He's fantastic. He's aggressive. He's fantastic. Radford is a player that any any roster any roster would want on their on their team. And then you look at them and you're like, all they throw the ball at the rim. I mean, they don't. Their offense. This is a crazy stat on Ken Palm. Their offense is ranked 46th in the country. So you're like, oh, like AMs. Yeah, they're pretty efficient offensively, right? Yeah. yeah. Their field goal percentage is 346. So again, they're 46 on offense, but they're they're shooting. They shoot the ball 346 out of 362. They they throw the ball at the rim, they grab it and they put it in. They're they're, they're obviously they're really high offensive rebounding. They're the, the best offensive rebounding team in the country. Part of that's because the Radford's so scrappy. Three point percentage, you know, they're at 357. Well, they played Kentucky that day. The threes went in, they, and that's why they beat Kentucky. So it's a team that is maddening because they simply don't take good shots. And you look at a team like them, skill set versus an Alabama, which is which I, you know, the Nate Oates school of math and what shots do you take? 
And he, in essence, he doesn't allow people to shoot the ball just inside the three-point line. You can shoot as many threes. Do you see that yeah. shot chart, by the way? Yeah, it's wonderful, right? So, he, But he does it right, right? So you either shoot a three, which is fine. You can shoot all the threes you want. But if you're not shooting a three, you take the ball to the hoop. And A&M, and Buzz Williams is a fantastic coach. But that's what A&M has really struggled with. Their, their players are alphas, and they're really, really good. But they think they can make all the shots all the time instead of really taking better looks and it it's been maddening at times because i they absolutely have a roster that should make the the nsa tournament but again like you said you're rattling off teams and now they're playing with fire because they have a tennessee a south carolina a mississippi state mississippi coming and again we like we talked about they're already at 11 probably another loss in the south in the sec tournament that's 12 there's just not a room for air and that there'll be some pressure on buzz um in college station because if he doesn't make the tournament this year with a roster, he should. Yeah. You talk about Tennessee who got embarrassed by Tamu last time out. So Tennessee's not going to be too thrilled and they didn't play that well against Mizzou. So I got a feeling that's going to be a bloodbath, honestly, in, uh, in Knoxville. And then you talk about Buzz Williams and the Aggies the last few years, last year, they got embarrassed by Penn state in the first round. Two years ago is when he had his infamous plea to why they didn't get in. Um, this is the stretch, though, if I were to look at it, Jason, of – I mean, there, there are losers of three straight, like I said, Arkansas. I forget who was sandwiched in between that and Vandy. Bam, Bam, Bama. 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 So, yep. Okay. Yep. But yep. those are your those are your three straight right there. And I think Vandy and Arkansas are really just uh, unforgivable. Last item I want to talk about before we get to some quickers and have a little fun here. Um, I really want to pick McNeese and Sanford as uh, two teams to make it to the round of 32, potentially Sweet 16. I love those two teams, man. So I'm going to give you some backing on why it's okay, why you can go in the trust tree and be excited about it. We'll start with Samford. Okay. They're the best three-point shooting team in the country. So they just start there, right? They can shoot the ball from the perimeter, and three-pointers are going to keep them. They're going to keep them in the game. Now, they're one of the worst – turnover teams in the country so they don't take care of the ball but let's stay with it if they don't face a team that is relying on generating turnovers then they're not going to turn it over all that much and if they're hitting their threes that day um then they absolutely have a chance they're a fun awesome team to watch because they you know they shoot a bunch of threes and if they're, they're going in that day they can absolutely beat anybody and then let's do the will wade uh, redemption tour with with mcneese um, they're actually the fifth best team in the country. So we're talking country, right? So both of these teams can really shoot the ball from three-point land. And whereas Samford, you know, they give the ball away, McNeese takes it. So they're the seventh best at stealing the ball away from you of anybody in the country. Um, you know, Wells is a really good transfer from TCU. He's 17-5 and five or so. And both of those teams are really good. And you know, you know, like McNeese has metrics that are, you know, middle of the road for a really good power conference. They're no joke. Both teams probably trending towards that 12 line. You know, Sanford may slip to a 13 and, and they're going to catch somebody. If they catch somebody on the wrong day who's not making threes against them. They're going to make them and they're going to be a problem. We saw with Furman last year, pulling it upset with it out of the SOCOM. Yep. Who yep. knows? Yes. The Kevin Harlan call. Yes. Yes, of course. Um, all right, Jason, this has been amazing. Let's go ahead and get you out of here on some quick hitters, have a little fun. Uh, let me start with this. Is it lost on you at all that you have an all-time college basketball name as your last name? It is not lost. My brother's name is actually Anthony. 
So no, way. yeah, your brother's name is Anthony Carmelo. Yeah, yeah. How about that? That's incredible. Is he as big of a hoop head as you? Uh, he he's a Duke fan. So um, you know, we uh, he's not as as big of a hoop fan. He's a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan. So he's in uh, on cloud nine right now. So um, one quick parallel. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this in. Living in KC, you're getting a lot of kind of consternation with the Jayhawk world, kind of in this part of the country and everything. But let me just say this. Watching Kansas play basketball was a little bit like watching the Kansas City Chiefs play in the middle of regular season this year. They're a little bit bored. Mm. They have a lot of really good players that have played. You know, Dickinson was, you know, um, Michigan. A lot of people, McCullers was at Texas Tech. You know, they've won a ton of regular season games. And they played a lot of big games. And at times you look at them on the road and it doesn't start off real well. And they're like, you know what? We're going to save this for March. So I'm just saying. As crazy as it sounds, you actually could get some Kansas stock. You could buy low on Kansas, which you can never do this this time of the year most years. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think them and Duke, honestly, all Duke's been doing is hanging around at the top 10, being one of the best teams in the country, and all we hear about is how they stink. Yeah, Some of it comes from their fans, too. Uh, But, yeah, I'm I'm not out on Kansas, although that that shocker against Arkansas last year really, really uh, took me off. It took me off guard. I had them, I think, a Final Four, Elite Eight yeah. team. I, I really like that Kansas team. But What's crazy is a lot of the Kansas, their best teams don't always advance um, That's as true. far in the NCAA tournament, right? And, you know, 2012, they beat Ohio State. The Final Four, that, you know, McLemore and Withy, that was not one of their best teams in terms of talent, but they kind of gelled together. They had a good draw. And, you know, self has sometimes done more with less, which is, which is kind of unique. Just the tournament, man. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're from Youngstown. I was looking yeah. at your website. No Youngstown State out of the horizon. Man. I They're I had him in. You. I had him in last year all year. I got my hopes up. They got beat late in the horizon. So we're going light on the Penguins. We're hoping from behind. My dad would take me to Big League Center growing up as a kid. Um, we're gonna keep our fingers crossed that we can include them on selection Sunday. Oakland's okay. It, listen, that that the horizon, it's up for grabs this year. They went through a stretch where Butler was in the horizon. So people will be like, yo, no, Butler's in you know, the Big East. Yes, got it. But back in the day when Butler was really, really good, they were they were playing teams like Youngstown all year. Yep. Um, and then they still made the Final Four, which is incredible. We're going to hope for the Penguins. What's the best or most accurate bracket year that you've had since you've been doing this? Yeah, it, no one's going to believe me. But it was last year. I pick UConn to win it all. Nice. Um, you know, I kind of looked at it. I, I think sometimes you got to step back and look at the non-con teams scout so well in the league. Like if you play in the big East, the big 10 or you know, sec big 12, it is so like we talked about, it's so hard to win these games. These teams know what play you're running when they're running. If you call it out, they know what it is. Right. And, and you've been, you know, I've heard some of the, your, your, your awesome interviews with coaches and things. So I'm not claiming to know these things, but just, you know, watching from afar, they know what sets you're going to run. And so sometimes when you get a fresh team in the second round and they've only had a couple days to kind of prepare for you, but they're preparing for a couple teams and then one day to really do a walkthrough, they don't know all your plays. And that's what Hurley did. And they were able to take advantage of the fact that they they use their talent and their size to really dominate people. And they were able to use their coaching to outwit people as well. Yeah. What was their record in the non-con? Like, I think it was perfect last year. Yeah, yeah. it was perfect. It was I perfect. think it just got tripped up by Kansas in a 
yeah. thriller of a game. Wow. Cam Cam Spencer in a hurt foot. Yeah. No, all right. I mean, I believe you. I believe that you took UConn there, man. Uh, now, when you were writing that bracket out, or when you were filling it out, I should say, do you write or like write with pen and pad? Are you a purist? Not pad, obviously, but do you write with a pen or pencil? Um, and not pencil. What am I saying? Do you write or do you uh, do like the computer? So um, my favorite day of the calendar year when I was little was Selection Sunday. And my second favorite day of the calendar year, this, this was even more than my birthday, was the Monday after when my dad would wake up at some crazy time in the morning and go get the, you know, two and a half inch thick USA Todays, right? So we're going old school. And he, you know, bring them home for my brother and I, he'd get some for himself. We'd have, you know, way too many. And we would literally write on the USA Today would fill out one uh on there so i'm a traditionalist um they don't necessarily make it in print anymore but i do one. i do one bracket one and i'll do it in pen and we go with it and what's crazy is i'll spend you know month and month and month diving into this and when selection sunday comes that's kind of the super bowl and then afterwards i'll probably fill out a bracket um in you know a couple minutes i'll kind of rip through it because um sometimes i have these biases built in though so i'm not by no means am I always correct, but yeah, I, I would say 65 to 70% of my bracket is filled within the first hour or so. And then I yes. use those next few days to be like, all right, what I'm, I'm nervous about these, uh, the, the remaining 25, you know, 30. your stuff, don't overthink it. And my <laughs> advice know, for you is man, don't, over, don't, don't overthink, fill it out in five minutes. Do, do one where you fill it out in five minutes and it'll probably be your best one. Let me tell you something. I keep a five-year journal. Okay. Okay. And, Every day I write in it, and a year ago around this time, Miami destroyed Duke, and I said, "I don't, Jason. Why, as to why that made my five-year journal, I don't know. It must have been a boring day." But I wrote, "I was like, I really want to take Miami to the Final Four. Um, I didn't end up doing that. I should have ended up doing taking well, Miami to the Final Four. They're one of the six teams of the last twenty years that had a metric over fifty that got in. So you didn't know, right? You didn't know." They were around 100 defensively, and Larinaga got him in. So they probably should have lost to Texas too in that yes. Elite Eight game. If we're being yep. honest, uh, is there a pick that you've been most proud of? And that can both be Jason, like how you picked UConn to the title, but it can be like an upset pick, or it can be a man. I nailed these this team on this seed line. Wow, uh, it was it was that original Ohio State, right? Where you're like. Oh my gosh, like Lenardi's on TV and makes all this money. And he's in, you know, he was two seed lines off, and I or you know, he's two seed lines off, and I was one like spot off. So that that that's the big one for me. Um, but you know, you go back to there's certain years where you still think back of the ones you missed, right? You get 67 out of 68, and you, you know, one year Wisconsin Green Bay, it was seven years years ago or something. Wisconsin Green Bay absolutely deserved to make the tournament. They didn't get in, you know, you kind of you're brave and you put them in the tournament and they don't get in and you look like a fool, you know, all the NC state people yell at you. So um, I'll go with the Ohio state one off the bat. Gotcha. I love your website mostly because you use the old school logos, man. Yeah. Those yeah. logos are sweet. Is there an inspiration for that? Yeah. So I, I, I like, I like graphic design. I'm a big architecture guy, graphic design. So I like to kind of go with throwback and uh, harken back to the, the old school days. So it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. We need more of it. Um, you mentioned green Bay and NC state. Uh, is there a name that absolutely shocked you 
on selection Sunday. So I asked Rocco Miller this question. I think he yeah. said like Air Force sometime in the mid 2010s where he was like, I had no idea they were going to make it this one year. Was it was there a name when you're watching Gumble and he reveals the name? You're like, what the hell? How did they make it? Yeah, it was it was it was not to be funny, but it was NC State the one. It was NC okay. State that year. Um, what oh year gosh. was that? Uh, to trace back, here we go oh, on the fly. Um, they had a guard. Oh gosh, they had a guard who was one of the best players in the country, and they just let him in the tournament because of him. It was just was it like Ryan we, Harrow. Ah, uh, no. no. Here, here we go. You have to edit all this out. No, but, no, but, this is good live audio here, man. Okay. I'm sorry so, to catch you. Uh, on, no, on no, we're foot. we're going on the rabbit hole now. Um, that, just a minute. I'm going no, back I'm, to they, and they just let him in the tournament because everybody in the nation wanted to see him. And the name's gonna Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith. Yeah, yeah. So Dennis Smith. I mean, it, it like it's crazy when you look at you know some of the some of the talent that they had. They're just like, well, we'll just kind of let him in the tournament. So that that's kind of one for me. I love it. I love it. Jason, this has been such a blast and, and very informative. Like I really do feel like I learned a lot. I know our listeners did, and I'm going to use this to make my picks and see who we're going to see come selection Sunday. I'm going to get you out of here on this. It's our last segment. It's what I ask all of our guests. It's called bring them up on stage. Uh, is there anyone that you would recommend I reach out to come on to the podcast or is there anyone you just want to shout out like anyone else that you think in your space or the college basketball space deserves some recognition? Yeah. Em and Brennan's really good. Um, yeah. Again, his bubble watch is fantastic. I know you've, you've spoke with uh, Eric Haslam before. He's really fun. I've been, I've been able to do He's a couple funny. radio hits with him. He's fantastic. Um, those are the two I'd probably recommend, but there's a, there's a lot of really, really good pe uh, people in the space. So. Jason, this was terrific. Where can we read your work on Twitter, all socials, your website, tell it. Yeah. So my website is, uh, is big dash underdog. And my Twitter handle is at bit big underdog blog. And again, you you'll find a little bit of analysis. It's kind of a quick hit, right? So there's, there's a, just a couple lines on each team and why they are where they are. And uh, please check it out over the next couple of weeks. Wait, not to end it on an anticlimactic note. How did I not ask this question? Where did we get Big Underdog from? How did what was the inspiration for that? Yeah, so when it, when I'm starting, so I you know, I had a, a you know um, square ruled paper, right? So I grid paper, and I literally would do it. I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to uh, send you it, and I still do it every year by hand, um, and then kind of feed it in the computer. And I thought to myself, like, I have to be the biggest underdog ever trying to accomplish <laughs> this. And it just said, like, I'm a complete underdog. I'm, I'm sitting here and, you know, at my kitchen table trying to figure all this stuff out. And I just felt like an underdog at that moment and put together the website. So that's where it is. That's beautiful. Jason Carmelo, thank you so much for jumping on, sharing your insight and this detail. Like I said, super informative. I cannot wait to publish this and get this out to uh, our listeners. And I'm going to be uh, watching and following your work the rest of the season. Enjoy the rest of the season, okay? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, we really want to thank Jason Carmelo for jumping on to the program and sharing his insight, having some fun with us, breaking down how he got into this space, how he uh, broke into bracketology, how he's applying his different formulas, his different weights to some of these things. And I thought he does a he does a really good job 
of explaining the reasoning as to why some of these teams aren't in. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you, folks, I've said it a million times. I, I know about some of the metrics, but I'm not super deep into the weeds. And it's tough. It is tough to keep track of 360 or so NCAA teams and know their resume offhand and know uh, what they've accomplished. But Jason does a terrific job of that. And I think we've hit on majority of some of the hot button teams like a Wake Forest, like a Villanova, like Washington State, like a Colorado, Utah, Texas A&M. Those are Cincinnati. These are some of the teams that you're going to need a Pepto-Bismol. You might need Alka-Seltzer on, on selection Sunday because it could be rocky. And I mentioned it in the interview. I'm really thinking about my my folks and the good folks of Winston-Salem. For some reason, I have a pit in my stomach for them because I think they're not going to see their name get called and we might get a Steve Forbes epic rant after that. So we'll see. But Jason Carmelo, thank you so much for jumping onto the program and uh, and spending some time. That was a real, real treat. All right, let's go ahead and get you out of here on some segments real quick. Not so mid. I talk about this guy maybe once every two months. Matt Langle. First place, number one seed in the Patriot League for, I think, the fifth straight year. All the guy does is win ball games. He's awesome. Now, I don't think Matt Langle is going to leave Colgate, but I think he should get a shot at a high major program. I'm not asking him to, to take a job, or I'm not asking a top 10, 15 job to reach out to Matt Langle, but I think he should be in a high major conference. The guy is amazing. And I, you guys know who I am and, and how I view Langle. Yet again, all he does is win basketball games. He runs the Patriot League with an iron fist, and they're probably going to go to the NCAA tournament, and they're probably going to give someone a little bit of a game, at least a half of a game in, uh, in, the, in the first round. So Matt Langle, not so mid. I hope I don't have to include him in this segment anymore because I hope he's at a major power school matt langle congratulations yet again and uh colgate going going into the uh conference tournament with the number one seed also i love rothstein just saying matt langle greater than a donald foil why do we have to compare and pit two legends against each other come on now easy layup i gotta give it up i have got to give it up to social media and Danny Hurley, and also Green Bay. All right. Uh, they did a tremendous job this week of using and leveraging social media to their advantage, I suppose. Uh, we're going to start with Green Bay, though, because they mimicked the iconic American Express commercial from, um, what was it? Major League, excuse me. And I think that's becoming more and more prevalent from folks uh teams are doing that more and more often but we got to play this hello you know us we're the northeast wisconsin division one college basketball team but since we haven't won a league title in over 10 years no one even recognizes it not even in our own hometown that's why we carry our trusty cheese no matter how far we are on first place, it's cool. It keeps us from getting blocked out of our favorite restaurants and hotels, such as Tiger Ice Cream. So if you're looking for some Rocky League Clout, come walk the Christmas League with other cheesecake. 
Look what it's done for us. People still don't recognize us, but we're contenders now. Rock the dress. We no doubt about it. Sundance Wicks just doing an awesome job. Not only on the court, but promoting his team and getting the good folks of Green Bay excited. It's an exciting time for the Phoenix. I, I you got to strike while the iron's hot, and that's what Sundance Wicks is doing. I thought this was a great, great use of video and Twitter to uh, mimic a classic. So, hat tip to you there for uh, for doing that. Green Bay, that's that's what I'm getting behind. Easy layup, and then also Danny Hurley after he had some words with a Creighton fan where I think loosely, I don't want to quote anything, but loosely I think we hear him say, I will knock you out. Or he said, if we get you to the tournament or if we play you in the tournament, I will knock you out. I said this to a Creighton fan. Hurley then goes on Twitter and basically edits his face on top of Hannah Waddingham's character in Game of Thrones when it's the shame, shame, shame. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I never watch Game of Thrones. But I do know what that clip is from, uh, and I I understand its relevance. So Danny Hurley has that video, and he says, I'll see you Saturday. Uh, So that is going to be uh, a fun, fun matchup. I think they got Nova upcoming. But great job by Danny Hurley playing the villain role. Great job by Green Bay playing the plucky underdog success story role. That is uh, my easy layup. And then my lane violation, Texas A&M Commerce and Incarnate Word, their brawl. So usually I am all for physicality. I'm all for trash talking. I am all for even some pushing and shoving. But this kind of crossed the line. I think fans may have gotten hurt. I think young children may have been involved. Uh, there were some slaps, there were some suspensions handed out. Like this was a real, real physical altercation that whether or not these players like it, it involves and envelops everyone else on the court, like older refs and older coaches potentially and younger kids. And so you just can't have that. I don't want to sound like a wet blanket. And so this is why I hate when people try and clown on basketball by saying, and especially in the NBA, but they're like, nobody really wants to fight. Yeah. These guys don't want to fight. They're not going to actually throw hands. They're just talking. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah. You want another malice at the palace? Is is that what you really want? Do you really want another all out brawl where like Rudy Tom Jonovich, I think it was got absolutely knocked the hell out. Right. We don't need this. You don't need actual punches being thrown. So I think there's a happy medium between trash talk, pushing and shoving. Look, I don't want like a Sylvia DeSouza chair toss. There's a happy medium between pushing and shoving and real trash talk and uh, punches being thrown like that. And so you can make the case like the trash talk and the shoving, it escalates to that at a point. Um, But I'm, I'm hoping we can get some good competitive hoops with real disdain and dislike that doesn't reach that point i'm also seeing a lot of people saying we need to ban handshake lines feel free i don't i don't care about the handshake line like i don't think it's it's this it's this necessity in college basketball games i'm totally fine with it but can we be i don't know it seems a bit like we're overreacting here i know there are some there are some conflicts that arise in the handshake line but i i can't I don't know. How, how often does this happen? Like once or twice a year? I, I suppose if that's more than enough 
to make a sweeping change, go for it. Because again, one, if that's your criteria, I can't argue that. But number two, uh, the handshake line does nothing for me. I think a lot of folks switch over to the next game if the, the second triple zeros hit. But it just seemed a bit overreactionary to me. Um, you know why we should ban handshake lines? We should have banned handshake lines after Coach K tried to lecture Dylan Brooks and lecture all these other players uh, in the handshake lines. That was more offensive and egregious to me. But I digress. Want to thank Jason Carmelo one more time for jumping onto the program. Had a lot of fun. Thank you as always for listening. Enjoy this weekend of hoops, folks. We only have a few more games left in the regular season, and we will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.